With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Welcome, everyone. From what's happening with housing starts to the latest existing home sales data, we unpack why Housing Wire lead analyst Logan Motoshami still labels this housing market as savagely unhealthy. I'm Brennan Ass, director of HW Pleasant Events, and I'm subbing in for Sarah Wheeler, who regularly interviews Logan on Mondays. Now, there's no shortage of data and there's no shortage of charts to unpack when it comes to Logan. So let's go ahead and jump right in. First off, Logan, I am super excited to be chatting with you since you and I actually just saw each other last week in New York City for Cocktails with Logan, which is a great event, great turnout. So now I just wanted to say thanks for joining me today as I sub in for Sarah. Oh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So I know one piece, uh, as I closely kind of follow your articles too, you're constantly reporting on the latest data and economic reports that come on from housing starts, existing home sales, new builds, um, jobs, all of that, which is, as you know, and everyone who hopefully is listening, that's monthly reports coming out consistently. So this week, or I mean, recently, I guess, like last week, we were given some new data around housing starts, which you wrote an article on. Can you do a a little bit of a, or maybe not a little bit, but chat about that piece of really what stood out to you in the latest housing starts report, especially when it comes to inventory? Um, Yes. The, um, you know, of course the, the big story with housing starts uh, in this expansion is that we can't finish a, a home on time. And the problematic issue is that uh, we built a lot of homes, uh, a lot of single-family homes, and mortgage rates were at 3% for a lot of these contracts, and now mortgage rates are 5%. So uh, in theory, you will see some cancellations just because some people can't qualify, and then we'll see how the secondary factors is do people actually want to go through with it, or, you know, their money deposits, that, that end. But traditionally, we see an uptick in cancellations, but now we have this historic event where we can't finish homes on times and we had the biggest increase and biggest increase in, in theory, you have to look at it as rates got as low as two and a half percent and got above five and a half percent. So we had a 3% plus swing uh, uh, that to me, it's, that's never happened. Uh, and, and then we have all these homes that are on contract. So that's the main story. Uh, you know, housing permits and starts itself looked fine. The revisions were a little bit negative, but the total amount was uh, surprised some people. Uh, we have to realize the multifamily construction side of the housing starts data is really picking up. And that doesn't have the, the rate impact as much as single family. Single family starts have been falling. New home sales have been falling the rate of growth. So the multifamily construction has offsetted that. But again, the real story is there is that there's a lot of single family homes that were on contract and that now is at risk. Uh, as soon as the 10 year yield got above 1.4%, 1.94%, the mortgage rates got above 4%, the narrative of housing changes. And that's been you know the working premise of mine since the summer of 2020 when I wrote that article for Housing Wire. And now we're gonna see some of that impact because to me, the first few months of housing data still lags the big rate move. Uh, in the upcoming months, we'll see more of that impact. Something that I think was brought up too at Cocktails with Logan earlier was this idea of you know luxury homes. And I, I don't think that 
there's you know different levels, the $1 million homes to the even higher level of homes, but was in a conversation with someone recently who sells homes in like the $1.2, $1.5 million range. And he was talking about how important compared to ever before it's been to manage buyer expectations for this exact reason. Um, kind of going down that train of thought, I know in your article, you also point out multifamily, then there's also like the impact to luxury and any of opinions and thoughts there. Can you even kind of break down a little bit further how you're seeing interest rates impact different types of new construction from the luxury homes to the multifamily homes? Well, the interesting aspect of this uh, uh, expansion is that multifamily construction uh, originally slowed just because of the COVID lockdowns and people, you know, weren't going to get rent payments. So that that data line suffered while single family starts really took off uh, because new home sales uh, took off. Now it's the reversal. Multifamily construction is is going strong just because the rate impact doesn't really affect there. But we have seen right away higher mortgage rates uh, do impact the new home sales sector much more than the existing home sales market. And we're going to start to see that in the new home sales data, which will slow down the housing starts data itself on the single family side. So the question is, do the builders keep on pushing the multifamily construction Rent inflation where it is looks good for them. So that side should be good. But the single family side definitely got hit by rates. We'll see that more in the data line going up in the next few months, even on the luxury side. Uh, the new home buyer is typically older and makes more money, but it, it's, it's a very mortgage rate, mortgage demand uh, marketplace more than the existing home sales marketplace. So anytime we've seen rates increase uh, in the past 12 years, that sector does get impacted. It shouldn't be any different now. Has there been an increase in that, to your point of like the most people who do, like the typical person that buys a new home, has that shifted at all over the years? Knowing like, I know when I looked for a home, I'm in Colorado Springs and there's barely inventory like the rest of the country. And in that perspective, I know there's agents out there who are doing a lot more new home builds, but to your point just then is there is that rates are still going to go up. Are they locking in supply? There's all these other things that happen to it, but know that I've seen friends build more often than maybe they would have in the past. I would say that for the first time since maybe even ever, the builders actually had an advantage uh, this time around with their uh, 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 with their product. In the previous expansion, a lot of people said that, well, there wasn't a lot of inventory so the builders had that advantage. No, there was plenty of inventory to buy in the existing home sales market. But because of the inventory crunch uh, in the existing home sales market, people just had a option available for them without the massive bidding wars uh, in 2020 and 2021. Uh, so that led to unbelievable pricing power for the builders, which they pushed it beyond uh, uh, belief because they had lumber costs and rising labor costs, these things. So they have that advantage as long as total inventory for me is below 1.52 million. Once that changes, they don't got it anymore. So yes, I do believe for the first time I've ever seen the builders have a, a supply advantage yeah. just because the existing home sales market is their biggest competitor. Those are cheaper homes geographically everywhere where you know now that inventory crunch, if it does start to ease up a little bit, they lose that advantage of having you know a product ready to go and not too much bidding wars going on compared to that marketplace. So yeah, definitely in 2020 and 2021, 
advantage for them, which in the previous expansion, I believe they never had. I often joke with Logan that I feel like the typical statistic millennial that he talks about. I bought a home during COVID. I locked in one of these lower rates. Um, I did look at new homes, but decided I wanted to go the existing inventory route. That ended up what I'm buying. And that also follows my line of questioning. So we went from new homes, looked at those, bought an existing home. That's another report that actually came out recently was the latest data on existing home sales. Um, this term that you've been using, I love Logan terms. I'm team let's make shirts around them when it comes to the forbearance crash bros. We could also start tagging savagely and healthy as maybe this new term that Logan is throwing out just a little bit more. It's another word that you've used once again in a headline. And the headline for those who want to go check out that article is this savagely unhealthy housing market needs higher rates. And then imagine what the market would have been like with mortgage rates under 4%. Can you dive now into that? Yeah. You know, it was it was interesting last year in February. Um, you know, I, I wrote a, a premise where I started talking about. It. I said, "Listen, guys, we need higher rates to cool this down because it's it's about to get out of hand." I I don't think the general public or fake housing experts know how to talk about housing in a inventory crunch because you have a lot of people out there who say there's no such thing as an inventory crunch. That to me is a smokescreen tactic by people who've missed the housing story for 10 years. Inventory got worse last year. Uh, so when I brought up, we need higher rates in February of 2021, people kind of said, no, we don't need higher rates. We we need to build more homes. Building more homes isn't going to do anything here, right? Um, and then in the in October of 2021, I talk about what's the big risk in 2022 was that inventory falls once again, because it looks like it's going to happen and home prices could escalate. Well, guess what? The median home price is up almost 15% in this report and sales trends are actually falling. So there's like a shock that why does this keep on happening? It's because total inventory levels are still very low and everybody wants to be some kind of hero. I'm going to tell you when the housing market is going to total change. Listen, until we get total inventory levels back to 2018, 2019 levels, we have this issue here. So uh, being part of team higher rates, being part of, hey, we've gone from an unhealthy housing market to a savagely unhealthy uh, housing market. This is what I'm talking about, right? It's uh, uh, now the the existing homes data is lagging the big rate move and inventory levels are starting to get a little bit better, but we're still at record all-time lows. So have a little bit of context because, you know, even some of the weekly data that we're seeing, you know, I saw Redfin's four-week median price averages, 18% year over year, uh, and in the previous two times uh, in the last decade, when rates went up, rates went up, the growth rate of pricing fell in 2013, 14, 2018, 19, but inventory was so much higher back then. So we have a savagely unhealthy housing market. And if we didn't have higher rates now, could you imagine what pricing would have been? Uh, because to me, years 2022 and 2023 are the sweet spot years in the history of the United States of America, where so many people are looking for shelter. And when you have too few homes uh, uh, and too many people looking, the people that can qualify for the homes will forcefully bid for that. And that's why being part of team higher rates, needing rates to stay high will create balance because it's May, right? Uh, so that was the April data, and we're still showing uh, uh, near 15% uh, home price growth. 
That's not what you want. That is not a good thing. So it's the opposite. I mean, it's first world problems, of course, but it's the opposite of what we had in the previous uh, housing bubble years and the crash where credit was leading demand. And as soon as credit faltered, uh, inventory skyrocketed. We're at 2.2 months of supply, even with the 3% increase from the lows. That's where we're at. So we need rates to stay high, create a balance. That'll be a positive. What we saw in 2020, 2021, and 2022 not a positive. So we upgrade the housing market, adjusting to what the data tells us, and it became a savagely unhealthy housing market this year. I know in that piece, and let me know if I'm wrong, that I think you mentioned in there that a lot of people thought because home prices are so high over year that everyone would panic sell and that massive inventory would hit the marketplace. Can you kind of go into that a little bit and how that didn't happen. Every year, there's a professional grift on housing by housing crash addicts. They do it for attention. Um, one of the one of the one of the cute ones are a bunch of people are saying population growth. These are the same people that said population growth falling was going to create the big housing collapse in demand in 2015. So they're kind of regurgitating uh, uh, that that line again this year. What's what's happened this year is that people assumed rates were going to go up and. Positive cash flow educated Americans who are doing good on paper for some reason, seven to eight million of them were going to rush to the marketplace when rates hit 4%, right? 4% rates. They were all going to go there. And it, it's a real fascinating concept selling your home to be homeless when you're doing good or selling your home to rent at a higher cost when you're doing good. So, because these people don't have credit profile backgrounds or any kind of analyst training, you can see this. They, they thought. 4% rate would create a mass selling, and it never happened, right? Higher rates create longer days on market first because the supply doesn't move as fast. We, we see that currently in, in certain marketplaces. Phoenix is a good example uh, of that Arizona. But in general terms, the 7 to 8 million home sales all at once is kind of the silver tsunami thinking or the uh, uh, um, people who are struggling to make their home payments will sell to Never happened. None of that. So we have to learn to talk about housing without the 2005 to 2008 backdrop where we actually saw credit stress selling. Uh, it was in the data. It was very evident. 2005, 6, 7, and 8, uh, people were filing for foreclosures, bankruptcies. That's panic selling. That's forced credit selling. None of that is here. And it's May. It's May, and we had a 3% increase in mortgage rates, and that 4% level that people were talking about never created the mass panic selling because people who are doing well, positive cash flows, don't sell in a panic at 20 30 40% off. That's what stock traders do. And so when stock traders talk about housing, they look at it as themselves, as a reflection on you know, how kind of panicky they get, right? They get margin calls. They have to sell. Homeowners don't have that. They're looking at everyone saying, oh, you guys are so cute. You think I'm going to sell my house? My cash flow is excellent. My kids are going to school here. My wife will kill me if I said, honey, we have to sell, take the cash out and find somewhere to live. No, two different areas of the economy. Um, think of days on market first, still 17 days. That's too low. Anything in a teenager level on the days on market is not a good thing. We need to get over 30, right? We need to be in the 30s crowd, kind of like, Brenna is going to be soon, you know. About to turn 30. Yeah. So. 
We Tell me seven. We want the me. days on market uh, to, to, to be 30 days and up, and that'll be a more balanced uh, marketplace. And uh, uh, again, for me, you know, tracking the forward-looking purchase application data, uh, the one thing I got wrong this year, I thought by now we would have 18 to 22% year-over-year declines in that data line on a four-week moving average. That would be traditional to big moves going up or down, positive and negatives. You see 20 to 30% moves in that index. And so far, the four-week moving average is running at uh, a little bit under 13%. So uh, housing mortgage demand has done, as of now, um, uh, much better than, than I thought it would. Uh, some of the comps are going to get more difficult by October. So maybe the, we get some of that 20% level uh, uh, back then or in, 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 in October. But as of right now, demand is weaker, slower, but it's, it's, it's holding up better than I thought because it's not just the 5% plus mortgage rates. It's the home price growth that we saw in 2020, 2021, and in 2022. So you combine that together, your total principal interest taxes insurance payment uh, gets hit in a very noticeable fashion. Uh, but as of right now, still, I have to say that uh, uh, the demand is holding up much better than I thought it would uh, currently with 5% plus mortgage rates. And we have to look at the, you know, the 10-year the yield has uh, retreated about 40 basis points. Mortgage rates have gotten a little bit better. There's a little bit more stable uh, marketplace. And if economic data gets weaker going out for the rest of this year and next year, we can see uh, rates fall, which again, for me is what I'm worried about because I'm the inventory guy. I'm the one who says this is not a good thing. So I have to stay consistent with my work. My home price growth model of 23% in five years got smashed. I need pricing to fall. I need I need to get that model back in line and nothing is really changing that. And we see that in the last existing home sales report with 15% home price growth. Growth rate of pricing should slow. Days on market should rise. Higher rates do continue this. This is something that we should see in, in the upcoming months as sales fall. But uh, as of now, it just hasn't been the case when rates got to 4%. Hopefully the 5% mortgage market creates a little bit more balance. You just mentioned kind of in that list. So my final question really would be for you, you know, like you want to get your forecast back on, you want, you know, nothing's really changing. Something needs to change. And I think you just listed then a couple areas that maybe could get things back on track. Where do you put your biggest, you know, stake right now, or where are you focused on the most? That's like, this could get us back, or this, this is most likely to happen. Maybe not ideal, but this is like, so Number number one, we we actually just we need inventory to first try to get back to 2020 levels, which we're so far away from that. But to me, you can have a balanced housing market when total inventory using the NAR data. I know there's a lot of people with different data lines. Once you get back to 1.52 to 1.93 million total, I can take off the unhealthy housing market. If home prices go up 10 percent with that inventory, then home prices are still too low. If they fall 10 percent, good. Uh, that means that the balance market created where the supply and demand uh, pricing should be. But when we are still here, we don't have that luxury because there's too few homes uh, and there's too many people chasing. There's no credit boom. We don't see that in any of the data. It's just a raw inventory shortage. I know Mike Simonson, you know, he, he has his data. We we have a population of 330 million people. We have like a little bit over 300,000 single family homes out there. Okay, that's how bad it is out there. And that explains the pricing that we've had in 2020, 2021, and 2022. Uh, even with sale trends uh, declining, we don't see that scalable inventory like we saw in 2006, 2011, which was forced credit selling. And so much of my work is the post-1996 housing market 
The only time inventory really grows is when you get real weakness in demand or forced credit selling. And, and so far, demand hasn't been weak enough to really give us the total inventory growth that we would need to create more of a balanced housing market. Well, I'll just wrap with noting for anyone who follows and watches Logan, this podcast comes on weekly um, featuring him. I think a lot of the data points that you just hit is exactly why you need to follow you regularly. It's changing fast. There's a lot of things that we are closely watching. So Logan, thanks for unpacking it for us continuously and regularly because I know I think we're all on the edge of our seats kind of trying to figure out what's going on. Yes. And just one last thing, um, just my condolences. We just got the data that mortgage delinquencies are at an all-time low. So the forbearance crash bros of 2020 and 2021, may you rest in peace and may you learn to read about credit profiles in the afterlife. So when you come back to life in the next time, you can realize that reading is a good thing, not a bad thing. And if you read the credit profiles, you'd still be alive today, but you're not. So rest in peace. We've been giving the shortcut for Logan. So deal. Thank you so much, Logan. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.